I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the hell that lie to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Today, I want to talk to you all about a little program that I've heard, I heard about about a year ago now. Uh, or no, less than a year ago. About six months ago. Um... And it's a program called Signature Reduction. And it, it's interesting because, you know, talking about what Ryan and I were talking about with the uh, NASA, you know, plans for future warfare and, and how they involve technology and science and all sorts of different groups, you start to see that these groups are all operating together in a variety of programs. NASA has theirs. The Pentagon has theirs. The military industrial complex has theirs. But this one really gave me chills up my spine when I was thinking about it because this is the Pentagon's secret undercover army. And it's not just a handful of people. It's tens of thousands Approximately 60,000 to be exact, okay? And we're talking about a decade they've been operating uh, in this program. And what are we talking about? We're talking about they operate foreign and domestically, completely unregulated. They assume false identities, false personas, It involves 130 private companies and some government agencies as well, such as the NSA, Homeland Security, the State Department, the CIA, U.S. Marshals, and the Justice Department, essentially. And they have a budget of about $900 million, okay? 
Now, the interesting part about this is this program, like I said, it's a secret undercover army. In many instances, the governors of states do not know that people are operating within their borders. That's how secret this is. They have they create false documents. They pay bills through different channels. You know, they have different passports, visas, um, taxes. They create fake taxes or tax documents, you know, for these false identities. Um, and the, the part that really is interesting to me are is, is the amount of uh, manufacturing of disguises and technology that this program uses. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit, but... Uh, you know, they can, they can change who they are. And we've seen this on the internet, right? You've seen the masks where uh, people take off, you know, a mask and it looks like an old man and it turns out to be, you know, a pretty hot young woman. We've seen, you know, in movies, right, the prosthetic masks and they, they've come a long way with those where you cannot tell the difference between a real person and a mask, the only thing they really haven't perfected is the ears. And 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 once, you know, from a distance, who's going to notice that really? But overall, you know, we'll get into that as we go through this article. But this is an article from May of 2021 uh, by William Arkin. And it was in Newsweek magazine. It's called The Exclusive Inside the Military's Secret Undercover Army. And a little bit about William Arkin before we get into the article. He is credible. He's former U.S. intelligence analyst and veteran journalist uh, who reported for like the Washington Post, the L.A. Times. And he was, you know, an analyst for uh, NBC for decades up until 2019 when he quit over, quote unquote, the network's increasing militarism under Trump. So basically what uh, when Arkin found this out, one of the things that he said he found was that there's three major groups that engage in signature reduction, which is the name of the program that this operates under. And so it means that these people, they're either, you know, they're spooks, right? They're operating under false identities or they use other techniques to, you know, protect their identity or, or hide their identity um, when they're in operation. So what he says is the first group is, and, and this is the most obvious, the special ops world, right? Especially like clandestine special ops, um, black ops, so to speak. Okay. And he brings up a good point. He goes, what keeps these operations black? And he says, well, it is. It's these techniques of signature reduction, you know, using everything from false identities, you know, all the way through civilian cover that they use. Um, they use it in the Middle East and all over the world. And uh, he thinks there's about 30,000 or so people who are part of the Navy SEALs, Green Berets, etc., who operate in some level under this signature reduction program. So about half of them. Um he believes they're special forces, special ops. And he goes, not all of them are completely clandestine, right? Some of them um, 
they don't even travel with false identities. They don't have to hide their identity. Um, they switch their identity when they get into the country. That's the only time. So they travel normally, but as soon as they get into that country, then they have to change their identity. The second group is is human intelligence operators at the Defense Department. Okay, there is the big shocker there. Um, that that includes people who do you know like close surveillance or or recon reconnaissance. Um, and he said, for instance, if I, if I want to be able to intercept your signal, I need to get close to you in order to do so, to pick out that signal from the whole variety of signals that are, you know, pinging the cell phone tower that you're communicating with. Because a lot of the work is done by people who are undercover. This group has been growing since 9-11 and has become fairly large activity throughout the military. So he says that there's there's even evidence that the Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. military are increasingly operating online and on social media within the United States. And I don't think anyone would question that. You know, a lot of us joke about the the agents that are watching our social media and, and listening to our cell phone conversations and everything like that. Uh, but in reality, there's more of them out there than we know. And he says the last group are the cyber operators, right? The people who are working online, the people who... Uh, they might be collecting intelligence. They might be, you know, monitoring groups or, or specific, quote unquote, terrorists. Um, and they're, they're doing what's called influence operations, right? Propaganda, psychological ops. It, it's at a pinnacle the last couple of years. Uh, we, we've seen this over just flood the Internet the last two to three years. And and what he said is it's the fastest growing group, you know, because they have to use, they use false personas, false IDs, and uh, and they use different techniques, <laughs> you know, like they you know they accuse the Russians of uh, of tamp- you know tampering the elections in 2016 and things like that, you know, it's all it's misdirection is what they're doing out there. And he, he says there's probably about 10,000 people uh, throughout the NSA and the military who, who use the cyber. So that's not really that many people when you think about it. Um, you know, out of all the people that are on the Internet to have 10,000 spooks out there, it's, it's not that big a deal. But what he does say is, and this was interesting because he says right now we live in a world in which there's far more information than there are people to process it, look at it, or store it. But we're getting to a point where the artificial intelligence and unlimited storage will make that information more usable and more useful. We're getting there, he says. Right? So as the machines catch up, you know, there was so much data overwhelming them that that they couldn't track it all, right? They couldn't process all that data. Well, now the technology is catching up. And he says, soon we will be at a point where AI can do it instantaneously. And that's a scary thought. He says, the public should always be concerned about the secret operations of American government. And to understand why they're secret. That's important. Are they merely secret 
because we're protecting the sources and methods associated with essential operations? Or are they secret because it's a bureaucracy that doesn't want to have oversight? And that's a huge question right there. Are we really doing this to protect the identities and safety of those operating out in the field? Or are we just covering the ass of the bureaucrats who don't want to have to answer to what they're doing in the dark, in the black, out of the public's eye? And that's a, that's a, you know, a very, very gray area. Where does, where do you draw the line on quote unquote national security? And when is it just straight up terrorism by the government? It's, they're the ultimate gaslighters. Because a lot of times they're talking about foreign and domestic terrorists. Yet the biggest terrorist on the planet is you know who. Office DC. They have a Pentagon shaped building. You know, I mean, those guys are criminals, what they do over there. But let's get into the article from uh, William Markin here. So he says there's tens of thousands of soldiers, civilians, and contractors operating under false names and on the ground and in cyberspace, like we just talked about. The largest undercover force in the world has ever known is one created by the Pentagon over the past decade. Some 60,000 people now belong to this secret army, many working under mass identities and low profile, all part of a broad program called Signature Reduction. The force, more than 10 times the size of the clandestine elements of the CIA, carries out domestic and foreign assignments, both in military uniforms and under civilian cover, in real life and online, sometimes hiding in private businesses and consultancies, some of them household name companies. Remember what I said before? They're everywhere, right? They're all over. This is how they do it. They weave themselves into everything. The unprecedented shift has placed an even greater number of soldiers, civilians, and contractors working under false identities, partly as natural result in the growth of secret special forces, but also as an intentional response to the challenges of traveling and operating in an increasingly transparent world. So they have they have to get around, but they need a way to cover up and mask their identity as they travel. The explosion of Pentagon cyber warfare, moreover, has led to thousands of spies who carry out their day-to-day work in various made-up personas, the very type of nefarious operations the United States decries when Russia and Chinese spies do the same thing. What did I just say? Gaslighting. The U.S. government is the biggest gaslighter known to man. Everything they accuse everyone else of, they are doing themselves probably tenfold. You have to realize this. Take the blinders off and realize that your government is not pure. They do not tell the truth. (laughs) A lot of them are criminals, but they'll never be charged because they're in the club. They hide in secrecy. Let's get back here. 
Newsweek's exclusive report on this secret world is a result of a two-year investigation involving the examination of over 600 resumes, a thousand job postings, dozens of FOIA acts, Freedom of Information acts, uh, requests, sorry, and scores of interviews with participants and defense decision makers. What emerges is a window into not just the little-known sector of American military, but also a completely unregulated practice. No one knows the program's total size, and the explosion of signature reduction has never been examined for its military or for its impact on military policies and culture. You hear that? We don't really know. He's taken a guess at it, and it's completely unregulated. And they probably have amnesty, right? They no matter what they do, it will be covered up. Congress has never held a hearing on the subject. And the military is developing this gigantic clandestine force, challenges U.S. laws, the Geneva Convention, the Code of Military Conduct, and basic accountability. Again, when we we talked about this with the NASA document, it's borderline illegal, if not illegal. But who's going to hold these people accountable if they are operating for the government? The signature reduction effort engages some 130 private companies to administer the new clandestine world. Dozens of little-known and secret government organizations support the program, doing out classified contracts overseeing public, unacknowledged operations. Altogether, the companies pull in over $900 million annually to service the clandestine force, doing everything from creating false documents and paying bills and taxes of individuals operating under assumed names to manufacturing disguises and other devices to thwart detection and identification. To special forces constitute over half the entire signature, uh, or no, sorry, to build invisible uh, devices to photograph and listen in on activity. In the most remote corners, they say of Middle East and Africa, but I would say worldwide. And I would bet they use it a lot domestically, as illegal as that may be. Special operations forces constitute over half the entire signature force reduction or signature reduction force, like we talked about before. The shadow warriors who pursue terrorists in war zones from Pakistan to West Africa, but also increasingly work unacknowledged hotspots, including behind enemy lines in North Korea and Iran, military intelligence specialists, collectors of counterintelligence agents, even linguists, make up the second largest element. Thousands deployed at one time with some degree of cover to protect their true identities. The newest and fastest group growing in this clandestine army never leaves their keyboards. These are the cutting-edge cyber fighters and intelligence collectors who assume the false online personas, employing non-attribution and misattribution techniques to hide who and where of their online presence while they search for high-value targets and collect what is called publicly accessible information. Okay, that's information that you have put out there willingly. 
or even engage in campaigns to influence and manipulate social media. We've seen those before. What gets the hashtags going? What starts the TikTok trends? Okay, this is all part of it, guys. Hundreds work in and for the NSA, but over the past five years, every military intelligence and special operations unit has developed some kind of quote-unquote web operations cell that both collects intelligence and tends to the operational security of its very activities. In the electronic era, a major task of signature reduction is keeping all of the organizations and people, even automobiles and aircraft people, involved in clandestine operations and masked. This protects now, this protective effort entails everything from scrubbing the internet of telltale signs of true identities to planting false information to protect missions and people. Okay? So these people are ghosts, in a sense. When they need to be scrubbed, they're scrubbed. When they need to disappear, they can disappear from the internet. As standard un- un- unforgettable identification and biometrics have become worldwide norms, the signature reduction industry also works to figure out ways of spoofing and defeating everything from fingerprinting and facial recognition at border crossings to ensure that undercover operatives can enter and operate in the United States, manipulating official records to ensure that false identities match up. You see that? They're doing it in the United States as well. Right? It's not just it's not just foreign. They don't use it just against terrorists. They use it against us, the American people. Just as biometrics and quote unquote real ID are the enemies of clandestine work, so too is quote unquote digital exhaust of online life. One major concern of counterterrorism work in the ISIS age is that military families are also vulnerable. Another reason participants say to operate under false identities. The abundance of online information about individuals has enabled foreign intelligence services to better unmask fake identities of American spies. Okay, we've seen that. There have been American spies that have been caught. Signature reduction is thus at the center of not only counterterrorism, but is part of the Pentagon's shift towards the great power competition with China and Russia, competition, influence, and disruption below the level of armed conflict, or what the military calls warfare in the quote-unquote gray zone, a space in the peace-conflict continuum. So this is what they're doing now, guys. It's a cyber war, right? It's a digital war. It's a battle of zeros and ones right now. We're not seeing large military buildups, although... They're hyping this Ukraine-Russia thing. It seems awfully wag the dogish. Don't buy into it. Don't invest your energy into it. It seems like a trap. Stay away from it. One recently retired senior officer responsible for overseeing signature reduction and super secret special access programs that shield them from scrutiny and compromise, says that no one is fully aware of the extent of the program, nor has much consideration been given to the implications for the military institution. So nobody knows. No one person knows the full extent of the program. Think about that. 
everything from the status of the Geneva Conventions, were a soldier operating under a false identity to be captured by an enemy, to congressional oversight is problematic, he says. He worries that the desire to become more invisible to the enemy not just obscures what the United States is doing around the world, but also makes it more difficult to bring conflicts to a close. Most people haven't heard of them in uh, of the term signature reduction, let alone what it creates, he says. The officer spoke on the condition of anonymity because he is discussing highly classified matters. Okay. So here's, uh, they go into this uh, secret life of Jonathan Darby. Okay. So he says, every morning at 10 a.m., Jonathan Darby embarks on his weekly rounds of mail call. Darby is not his real name, but is also not the fake name on the Missouri driver's license he uses to conduct his work and the government car he drives, one of a fleet of over 200,000 federal vehicles owned by General Services Administration. So I'll just tell you something, 200,000 of these vehicles. It's also not registered in his real name or his fake name. And nor are his magnetically attached Maryland state license plates really for his car. Nor are they traceable back to him or his organization. Where Darby works and the locations he visits is also classified. Darby's retired from the Army, and he asks that neither his real name or cover name be used. He served for 20 years in counterintelligence, including two African assignments where he operated in low profile in Ethiopia and Sudan, masquerading as an expat businessman. Now he works for the Maryland-based signature reduction contractor that asked Newsweek not to identify. As Darby makes his rounds to some 40 or so post offices and storefront mailbox stores in the D.C. metropolitan area, he picks up a trunk full of letters and packages, mailing a similar number from rural addresses. Back at the office, he sorts through the, the take, delivering bills to the finance people, processing dozens of personal and business letters mailed from scores of overseas locations. How about this? But his main task is logging and forwarding the signature reduction mechanisms, as they are called, passports and state driver's license for people who don't exist, and other papers, bills, tax documents, organization member cards that form the foundation of fake identities. Guys, this is some high-level stuff here. This isn't your, you know, teenager making some fake IDs so he can buy, uh, you know, a 12-pack for Friday night. This is uh, this is insane. These people, you know, you heard that his everything down to his license plate is fake and not traceable back to him. To register and double click the authentic authenticity of his daily take, Darby logs into two databases: one, the Travel and Identity Document Database, the Intelligence Community's repository for over three hundred thousand genuine counterfeit and altered foreign passports or visas 300,000 and the other the cover acquisition management system a super secret register of false identities where the mechanisms used by clandestine operations are logged for false identities traveling overseas Darby and his colleagues also have to alter database of US immigration and customs to ensure that they're performing illicit activities can return to the United States unmolested. 
So they are tampering with ICE, U.S. Immigrations and Customs database. For identity ver verification, Darby's unit works with secret offices at the Homeland Security and the State Department, as well as almost all 50 states in enrolling authentic, quote-unquote, mechanisms under false names. A rare picture into this world came in April 2013 when an enterprising reporter from Northwest Public Broadcasting did a story suggesting the scale of this secret program. His report revealed that the state of Washington alone provided hundreds of valid state driver's licenses in fictitious names to the federal government. The ex uh, existence of the uh, confidential driver's license program, as it was called, was an was even unknown to the governor, right? So these guys are operating around everyone's back. Before the internet, Darby says, before a local cop or a border guard was connected to a central database in real time, all an operative need to be uh, in a quote-unquote undercover was an ID with a genuine photo. These days, however, especially for those operating under deep cover, so-called quote-unquote legend behind an identity has to match more than just a made-up name. Darby calls it quote-unquote due diligence, the creation of this trail of fake existence. So it's your fake story. Fake birthplaces and home addresses have to be carefully researched. Fake email lives and social media accounts have to be created. And those existences need to have corresponding friends, right? This is, a, this is an intricate network, guys. Almost every individual unit that operates clandestinely, special operations, intelligence collections, or cyber has a signature reduction section, mostly operated by small contractors conducting due diligence. There, they adhere to what Darby calls the six principles of signature reduction. Credibility compatibility, realism, supportability, veridity, and compliance. Okay? Compliance is a big one, Darby says, especially because of the world that 9-11 created, where checkpoints are common and nefarious activity is more closely scrutinized. To keep someone covert for real, and to do so for any period of time that requires uh, you know, a time-consuming dance that not only has to tend to someone's operational identity, but also maintain their real life back home. As Darby explains it, this includes clandestine bill paying, but also working with banks and credit card security departments to look the other way as they search for identity fraud or money laundering. You see that? They are working with banks and credit card companies to look the other way. Also then, signature reduction technicians need to ensure that real credit scores are maintained. This is a giant scam, guys. Giant scam. And even real taxes and social security payments are kept up to date so that people can go back to their dormant lives when their signature reduction assignments cease. Darby's unit, originally called the Operational Planning and Travel Intelligence Center, OPTIC, is responsible for overseeing much of this. Uh, but documentation, as important as it is, is only one piece of this, right? There's other organizations that are responsible for like designing, manufacturing uh, the disguises 
the um, they call them biometric defeats elements, uh, right? So that they can travel anything that they can do, whether it's retina, whether it's you know facial recognition, whatever they have to do. Darby says this is where all the special access programs or SAPs, the most secret category of government information protect the methods used and the clandestine capabilities that exist to manipulate foreign systems to get around seemingly foolproof safeguards, including fingerprinting and facial recognition. And this is where it gets interesting because they have many ways to skirt around um, security. Right, any any barrier that they find, they are finding a workaround for it. So it says here, numerous signature uh, reduction SAP programs with names like Hurricane Fan, Island Hopper, and Peanut Chocolate are administered by a shadowy world of secret organizations that service the clandestine army, the Defense Program Support Activity, Joint Field Support Center, Army Field Support Center. Personnel Resources Development Office, Office of Military Support, Project Cardinals, and the Special Program Office. Befitting how secret this world is, there is no unclassified definition of signature reduction. Okay, so it doesn't exist. It's not out there. Undefined. The Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, which operates the Defense Clandestine Service and the Defense Cover Office, says that signature reduction is a term of art, one that, quote-unquote, individuals might use to describe operation uh, security, OPSEC, measures for a variety of activities and operations. In response to Newsweek queries that point out that dozens of people have used the term to refer to this world, DIA suggests that perhaps the Pentagon can help. But the responsible person there, identified as a DOD spokesperson, says only that, quote-unquote, as it relates to uh, human operations, human intelligence, signature reduction is not an official term that is used to describe measures taken to protect operations. Another senior former intelligence official, someone who ran the entire agency and asked not to be named because he is not authorized to speak about clandestine operations, says that signature reduction exists in a twilight between covert and undercover. The former, defined in law, is subject to presidential approval and officially belongs to the CIA's National Clandestine Service. There you go, three-letter agencies. The latter connotes strictly law enforcement efforts undertaken by people with a badge. And then there is the Witness Protection Program, okay? And who, who, who runs that? That's administered by the Justice Department via the U.S. Marshal Service, which tends to take fake identities and lives of people who have been resettled in exchange for their cooperation with prosecutors and intelligence agencies. Right. You saw the witness protection program a lot with the mafia. Um, you might have seen it a little bit with nine, after 9-11, but, um, you know, not as much there. But uh, you see it a lot domestically. The military doesn't conduct covert operations, the senior former official says, and the military personnel don't fight undercover. That is, 
except when they do. Either because individuals are assigned, quote-unquote, sheep-dipped to the CIA, or because certain military organizations, particularly those of the Joint Special Operations Command, operate like the CIA, often alongside them in covert status, right? They operate covertly, where people who depend on each other for their lives don't know each other's real names, okay? And that's a, that's key, because, I mean, you're, we're talking about big-time separation, Um so now, well, let me, for those of you that aren't familiar with the term sheep dipped, okay, it's just an, a way that someone, uh, it's just another way of saying someone's been given a different identity, okay? Um, yeah, it's mainly with the CIA, people get sheep dipped. Uh, there was rumors that Timothy McVeigh was sheep dipped, um, but who knows? Anyway. Uh, there, there's a, uh, increasing number of government investigators, military, FBI, Homeland Security, and even state officials who are not undercover per se, but of who avail themselves of signature reduction status, like fake IDs and fake license plates when they work domestically, particularly when they're engaged in extreme vetting of American citizens of Arab, South Asian, and increasingly African backgrounds who have applied for security clearances. So now we're going to look at a, uh, I don't know if you're, they had a Get Smart incident in uh, 2013 in Moscow. So in May of 2013, in an almost comical incident more reminiscent of Get Smart than skilled spying, Moscow ordered a U.S. Embassy third secretary by the name of Ryan Fogel to leave the country, releasing photos of Fogel wearing an ill-fitting blonde wig and carrying an odd collection of seemingly amateurish paraphernalia. Four pairs of sunglasses, a street map, a compass, a flashlight, a Swiss army knife, and a cell phone. So old, one article said, that it looked like it had been on this earth for at least a decade. The international news media had a filled day. Many retired CIA people were decrying the decline of the tradecraft, most of the commentary opining how we'd moved on from the old world of wigs and fake rocks. A reference to Great Britain admitting just a year, year earlier that indeed it was the owner of a fake rock and its hidden communications device, another discovery of Russian intelligence in Moscow. Six years later, another espionage case hits the news this time when a jury sent former military intelligence officer Kevin Patrick Mallory to 20 years in prison for conspiring to sell secrets to China. There was nothing particularly unique about the Mallory case, the prosecution making its show of presenting the jury with a collection of wigs and fake mustaches looking like Halloween costumes. The whole thing seemingly another funny episode of clumsy disguise. And yet, says Brenda Connolly, not her real name obviously, one would be naive to laugh too hard, for both cases provide a peek into the new tricks of the trade and extreme secrecy that hides them. Connolly st started her engineering career at Directorate of Science and Technology at the CIA and now works for a small defense contractor that produces the gizmos 
think, quote-unquote, Q in James Bond movies, she says, for signature reduction operations. So that ancient Nokia phone carried by Ryan Fogel, she says, was nothing of the sort. The innocuous outsides concealing what she calls covert communications devices inside. Similarly, entered in evidence in the Mallory case was a Samsung phone given to him by Chinese intelligence that was so sophisticated that even when the FBI cloned it electronically, they could not find a hidden partition used to source secrets and one that Mallory ultimately had to reveal to them. So you see that. The Chinese technology was so advanced they could not crack it without Mallory's help. Lost in the spy versus spy theater of both cases were other clues of modern signature reduction, Connolly says. Fogel also carried an RFID shield, a radio frequency identification blocking pouch intended to prevent electronic tracking. Those are like the Faraday bags, right? If you guys are looking for that, uh, Matt Landman sells those. Uh, I highly recommend his bags. Uh, Everyone that I know that has one says they're great. So like many other people in this world, Connolly is a connoisseur and a creator or a curator. Okay, so he likes to not only... uh, he, he really enjoys this stuff. She could talk for hours about the broadcasts that used to go out from the Soviet Union, but were also transmitted from Warrington, Virginia. Female voices reciting random numbers and passages from books that agents around the world would pick up on their shortwave radios and match to prearranged codes. But then internet cafes... In online backdoors became clandestine channels of choice for covert communications, largely replacing all the shortwave radio. Until surveillance technologies, especially in autocratic countries, caught up and intelligence agencies acquired an ability not only to detect and intercept internet activity, but also intercept every keystroke of activity on a remote keyboard. That ushered in today's world of covert communications, or COVCOM, as insiders call it. These are very special uh, encryption devices seen in the Fogel and Mallory cases, but also dozens of different burst mode transmitters that receive uh, and receivers secreted in everyday objects like fake rocks. All an agent operator needs to activate communications with the COVCOMs in some cases, is simply walk by a target receiver, a building, or a fake rock, and it activates. And the clandestine messages are encrypted and transmitted back to special watch centers. I mean, guys, this is sophisticated stuff. And who do you think implants those devices, Connolly asked rhetorically? Military guys, special ops guys working to support even more secretive operations. Connolly talks about heated fabrics that make the soldiers invisible to thermal detection. Okay, there are fabrics out there that can make you invisible to thermal detection. Electric motorcycles that can silently operate in the roughest terrain. Even how tens of feet of wires are sewn into quote-unquote native clothing 
the South Asian shawar kamis, the soldiers themselves then becoming walking receivers, able to intercept nearby low-power radio and even cell phone signals. I mean, these guys are little towers. But, and you wouldn't even know it because it's in their clothes. It's in the fabric of their clothes. So now we get into the wigs, the covert communication devices, fake rocks. In our world of electronic everything, where everything becomes a matter of record, where you can't enter a parking garage without the license plate being recorded, where you can't check in for a flight or even a hotel without a government-issued ID, where you can't use a credit card without the location being captured, how can biometrics be defeated? How can someone get past fingerprint readers? This is why they use this is what they use 900 million dollars to find out. In 99 out of 100 cases, the answer is there's no need to. Most signature reduction soldiers travel under real names, exchanging operational identities only once on the ground when or where they operate. Or they infiltrate across borders in places like Pakistan and Yemen, conducting the most dangerous missions. These signature reduction missions are the most highly sensitive and involve close-in intelligence or collection, or, uh, yeah, or the use of uh, miniaturized enemy tracking devices, each existing in their own special access programs. Missions that are so sensitive, they have to be personally approved by the Secretary of Defense himself. For the 1%, though, who have to make it through the passport control under false identities, there are various biometric defeat systems, some physical and some electronic. So they have guys, they work on ways to get around, to work around these mechanisms. One such program was alluded to in a little notice document dump that was published by WikiLeaks in 2017 called Vault 7. It contained over 8,000 classified CIA tools used in covert world electronic spying and hacking. It's called Express Lane, where U.S. intelligence has embedded malware into foreign biometrics and watchlist systems, allowing American cyber spies to steal foreign data. Remember how we always complain about the Chinese and the Russians? We steal just as much, if not more, data than they do. Remember, when you're pointing the finger at someone else, there's always three more pointing back at you. Uh, yeah, so uh, an IT wizard working for the WikiLeaks in Berlin says the code with ExpressLane suggests that the United States can manipulate these databases. Imagine for a moment that someone is going through passport control. He says, hesitant to use his real name because of fear of indictment in the United States, NSA or the CIA is tasked to corrupt or change the data on the day the covert asset goes through and then switch it back. It's not impossible. A manufactured, uh, uh, another source pointed to a small rural North Carolina company in the signature reduction industry, mostly clandestine collection and communications field. In the workshop and training facilities where they teach operators how to fabricate secret listening devices into everyday objects, they're at the cutting edge 
And so the promotional materials, or at least the promotional materials say so. A repository for molding and casting, special painting, and sophisticated aging techniques. The quiet company can transform any object, including a person, much like they do in Hollywood, a silicone face appliance, sculpted perfectly to alter someone's looks. They can age, change gender, and even increase body mass, as one classified contract says. And they can change fingerprints using a silicone sleeve that fits so snugly over a real hand it can't be detected. Embedding altered fingerprints and even impregnated with oils found in real skin. Asked whether the appliance is effective, one source who's gone through the training laughs, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. Guys, how crazy is that? Not only do they have gloves, and, and, and look these up on the internet, these gloves. It looks like a real hand. You cannot tell the difference. And these things even secrete oils. That's how sophisticated we've gotten. Guys, they can change the age of a person. They can change your gender. They can change your body mass. Right? And that's what... There were a lot of rumors. You know, you see a lot of these Hollywood actors that go from, you know, average size, if not on the smaller side... And all of a sudden, for a certain movie, they are jacked, just ripped. Now, is that possible? Yes. But there are rumors that that's just a bodysuit. It's one of these, you know, silicon suits that people wear. And you would not be able to tell the difference. They will, they will match the tattoos. And, and for a lot of movies, they use this for certain characters. But there are a lot of people. So, guys, again, it's called the Great Deception Podcast for a reason. You cannot simply just trust everything that you see. You can be deceived at any point in time. The television is a giant deception. Right? The news. Most of those stories are fake. Created. Like like the Red Hot Chili Peppers said, right? Space may be the final frontier, but it's made in a Hollywood basement. This is all, guys, it's all an illusion. And that's what this program does. It, it, it uses that technology from Hollywood to be able to get around this stuff. So let's get back to this. In real life, identity theft, mostly by criminals intent on profit, remains an epidemic that affects everyone. But for those in the intelligence and counterterrorism world... The enemy is also actively engaged in efforts to compromise personal information. In 2015, the Islamic State posted the names, photos, and addresses of over 1,300 U.S. military personnel, instructing supporters to target and kill the identified individuals. The FBI said that the release was followed by suspected Russian hackers who masqueraded as members of ISIS and threatened military families through Facebook. We know everything about you, your husband, and your children, one menacing message said. Now, again, look, it always, they're always pointing the finger at Russia or China or Iran. 
North Korea, right? It's never any of our allies, first of all. And it's never us. How many times do you think they've done this to our own people? And I hate to say it, but if you don't believe that it happens, you are naive. Completely and utterly naive. Counterintelligence and OPSEC officials began a large-scale effort to inform those affected, but also to warn military personnel and their families to better protect their personal information on social media. The next year, ISIS released 8,318 targeted names, the largest ever release until it was topped by 8,785 in 2017. It was revealed that military personnel sharing location information in their fitness devices were apparently revealing locations of sensitive operations merely by jogging and sharing their data. That was a big thing. Uh, I don't know, around five years ago. uh, It was a big thing. And it actually, it's interesting because I remember some of the data. There was a report too about some data getting leaked from Antarctica where people were getting tracked on their Fitbit uh, or, or whatever, you know, service they were using, but they were, they, it was posted on, uh, you know, the tracker and people were able to pull it up. The rapid development of new and innovative information technologies enhances the quality of our lives, but also poses potential challenges to operational security and force protection. U.S. Central Command said in a statement at the time to the Washington Post. Then came the DNA scare when Admiral John Richardson, the chief of naval operations, warned military personnel and their families to stop using at-home Ancestry DNA kits. Be careful who you send your DNA to, Richardson said, warning that the scientific advancements would be able to exploit the information, creating more and more targeted biological weapons in the future. Right? So all you that were out there doing 23andMe, looking up that family lineage, more than likely you were just donating your DNA to a database that is going to be used for nefarious purposes unbeknownst to you. But that's how they work, people. That's what they do. Why do you think they were pushing these PCR tests, these swab tests so much? You think it was just about COVID? No. There was definitely something more to these tests and all the DNA that they are collecting from these tests. And actually, I'm going to... I'm going to pull up an article here because I saw this in the in the uh, Russian Times today, and I found it absolutely fascinating. That um, let's see, where is it here? Okay, because you know how Russia has their own um, test for uh, you know for COVID, the big bad boogeyman. But it says that um, 
uh, President Macron, the French president, refused a Russian COVID test ahead of his meeting with Vladimir Putin. It follows reports that Macron refused the PCR test over fears the Russians would get a hold of his DNA. Right? He didn't care whether they got the results. They didn't want him to get his DNA. So that's what we're getting back to here. This is all about DNA. They want, what does mRNA do? That's an interesting thing in itself. Go look into that a little bit. Because that's an interesting technology. Guys, it's all... It, it, it's. <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. Let's just finish up the article here and we'll get back to it. And indeed, in 2019, the Pentagon officially advised military personnel to steer clear of popular DNA services. Exposing sensitive genetic information to outside parties poses personal and operational risks to secret service members or to service members in general, said the memo. We're still in the infancy of our transparent world, said the retired senior officer, cautioning against imagining that there are is some identity gap similar to a bomber gap in the Cold World. We're winning this war, including on the cyber side. Even if secrecy about what we're doing makes the media portrayal of the Russians, again, look like they're 10 feet tall. He admits that processing big data in the future will likely further impinge on everyone's clandestine operations. But he says the benefit to society, even narrowly, in just making terrorist activity and travel that much more difficult, outweigh the difficulties created for the military operational security. Office, the officer calls the secrecy legitimate, but says that the Defense Department leadership has dropped the ball in recognizing the big picture. The military services should be asking more questions about the ethics, the propriety, and even legality of soldiers being turned into spies and assassins and what this means for the future. Still, the world of signature rejection keeps growing. Evidence says, the retired officer, that modern life is not as transparent as most of us think. You know, uh, it's just mind-blowing, okay? You know that there's these secret operations that take place, right? We all, we're all well aware of that. However, when you understand that it's six, could be upwards of 60,000 people, if not more, that are completely unregulated, with a massive $900 million budget. It can't be for all good. And that's why I'm, 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 I was fascinated by this piece because we're moving into, you know, the track trace database bio nano era, right? Where everything is going to be trackable, which is going to make this much more difficult unless... You create more fake personas. And that's what they're just going to do, guys. They're just going to find ways to work around it. But just know 
that any program in which they set up for foreign use is going to be used domestically as well at some point in time. And that signature reduction is going on. You know, what do they do with all that money? The tech, you know, they're hollowing out SUVs and vans and, you know, they're spying on people, listening in on conversations, tapping phones, right? Mirroring phones, following your activity, listening in, following your online activity, your search history, all that fun stuff. And they are putting together a profile of you. They are creating a cyber version of you. And, and so you just need to know what's going on and that this program is not for the benefit of you or I, the American everyday citizen. Now, is it necessary to protect these people's identities? Yeah, I mean, I guess... But do we need to be the world police? That's the discussion I want to have at some point in time. When can we stop being the world police and let people police themselves and not have to have these clandestine, oh, but, you know, ISIS, 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 bullshit. We created ISIS. We funded ISIS. If not us, Israelis. If not both. The Brits, they're all in on it, guys. When are you going to see this? This whole terrorism bullshit is, was a fake narrative that was created. And we went to war in Iraq and Afghanistan over it. Lost way too many lives. Killed way too many innocent civilians in both countries and still do to this day. Because of some planned operation they undertook here that killed thousands of people here supposedly also so you i mean guys it's just those who trust the government i can't i can't relate guys i cannot relate any of you that think that whatever that comes out of that white house is in your best interest our best interest they're looking out for us hate to break it to you it's not the case and signature reduction is just one example of $900 million of our money going to some program that we have no influence over. No saying. No control over. It's unregulated. All right? Let that sink in. $900 million annually. You think of other things we could do with $900 million? Rather than pay spooks to run around and, and, and play spy games. Man, it's just, it's unbelievable that it's that, that it goes on, you know, and, and that it, it took a decade, right? A decade, uh, William Arkin said this was going on before he really uncovered it and brought it to the public. So, Wow. That's an interesting one, guys. There is also, I was going to tell you, along along these lines and along uh, kind of combining both the uh, signature reduction and the, uh, uh, what is it, the, the NASA piece that we just did. 
There's a P, the, the U.S. Army put out a document called Cyborg Soldier 2050, Human Slash Machine Fusion and the Implications for the Future of the DOD. You might want to go check that little document out. It's like 40 pages. Um, I just found it the other day when I was digging through, uh, doing some research for this article here on the uh, Signature Reduction. And I started just thumbing through it. I haven't really dug into it yet, but just thumbing through it high level. It's got some interesting stuff in there. I mean, it's talking about, let's see here. We'll go down. We'll take a look at the title page for you, give you some uh, some overview. Uh, let's see, where are we going here? So it talks about the scope and purpose of the study, direct neural enhancement of the human brain for remote two-way data transfer, technology predictions for 2050. Uh, and then it has some different case studies on, uh, you know, ocular enhancement, uh, muscle control, um, auditory stuff, and then also direct neural enhancement of the human brain. Guys, it's some, it's some really fascinating stuff. Uh, and then it talks about societal perspective perceptions as impediments or drivers of cyborg soldiers guys because this is where they want to go and we're seeing it already how many of you guys saw the robotic dog that the border patrol is going to use oh it's coming they want these robots and that's what they want to go to these cyborg soldiers okay a mix of human and technology you do not want that we do not want that. It's not good for humanity. Okay, and they even go into it here. The legal and privacy implications for cyborg technologies. Guys, every program, right? The NASA, NASA document we went over. They are on the fringe, the borderline of legality. Signature reduction. What did they just say? They are right on the borderline of legality. The Geneva Convention. Right? Same thing here with this program. All of these things they do borderline on illegal activities. But they operate in the gray area. Unbeknownst to us, most of this. Okay? And that's why we bring it. I bring it forward. A, it's interesting to me. But B, so you know. So there's proof out there of some of the stuff that's going on. Because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this program, and I think this program is pretty significant, you know, to have 60,000 personnel going around and, you know, with a $900 million budget, disguises and technology. Yeah, I'll pass on that one. I do not want to be a part of that state, but that's the country we live in. All right, so with that said, we are going to wrap up this broadcast for uh, for now. I just, guys, I really, really want to take a second and thank you all uh, for listening f to my show. Uh, you know, we're about, what, six months in now, and uh, it's amazing the amount of support I get for this show, and I, I truly... I, I'm really humbled and, and I thank you all. 
With that, I come hat in hand and just ask, could you please, if you are on Google or on Apple or Spotify, give us a ranking, leave a review, okay? If you're going to leave a one star, save it. Don't waste your time. But if you're going to leave a positive review, it helps me get in the algorithm. It keeps the show going because my Instagram account, which I use as the main proprietary source of this podcast to push it out there is shadow banned beyond belief. I get tens of views on my stuff. So when I'm trying to push the podcast and I'm trying to promote guests, promote other shows, I don't think many people are seeing it. So if we can get this in the algorithm and try and beat it, uh, if, if you guys are on Instagram, give me a follow on the great deception podcast uh, I love to post about old world stuff, a little bit of politics, and some humor and jokes in between. Uh, but I would, you, you know, follow, share, like my stuff. I appreciate that. And uh, we got some things in the work for this year. I want to, uh, I want to make some moves this year with this show and uh, and give back to some of you all that have contributed. So, guys, hey, all you that share. Um, you know, documents, pictures, messages with me. I appreciate it. And and you all know I respond back and, and uh, I do my best to get back as soon as possible. But uh, I really love the interaction with you all. So uh, keep it coming. Some of you guys have given me some really good material to do, uh, to add either add to research or start me on some new research for some potential show topics down the road. Um, but with that said, we're going to wrap it here. I want to thank you all again. Everyone, stay safe, stay strong, and question everything. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, 
We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together.